This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Let's talk about SEO quickly. This whole search engine optimization thing. People are frustrated by it, confused by it, and there are so many SEO tools out there. Free ones, subscription ones. Which one's the best? You ever feel like it's been this dark art, this mystic craft hidden for only certain people to understand? Well, here at Jelly, it all became clear when we started using Ahrefs. The reports we got, the clarity on site ranking, and so much more. Today, for all our clients, we provide Ahrefs reporting and use the tool to audit sites. It's the premier SEO tool that gives you the confidence you're providing top-notch reports and data to your clients. Let the only confusing thing be how the tool's name is said. Check them out at ahrefs.com. All right, I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Marketing Jam. I am thrilled uh, to welcome Blair Enns here today. Uh, I first heard about him. Uh, I was at a Bureau of Digital Gathering, which is a um, summit uh, that a guy named Carl puts together, nicest guy in the world. And uh, it's kind of a, the vetting is agency owners only, and everyone just sits around and talks, and then he organizes these small groups about what are you working on, what are you not working on. And, and I kid you not, there is a, a, a following of Blair N's Win Without Pitching in this group. And so I never heard of him until this time. And everyone there was like, you got to get this book. You don't have this book? You haven't read this book? You don't know about this? And it was like this almost like, I don't know, somewhat cultish thing. And I was like, who is this guy? He must be like some superstar in America. And, and then I find out he, uh, Blair, lives in my, my home province of British Columbia, Canada. And so, uh, Blair, I, I've since... Uh, gotten your book, uh, you know, and you have a second book out, which is so exciting. So thank you so much for being on the show here today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's uh, I hear the story a bit, not not the part about oh, I just thought you were in New York or something. I'm not only in British Columbia. I'm I'm. Uh, people say oh, you're you're in Vancouver, and I say no, I'm a short 11 hour drive from Vancouver. That's awesome. Yeah, That's I'm in the Kootenays. I'm in Caslow, BC. Population like 900. That is amazing. And, and well, with technology today and webinars and, and you know, wherever you are, it, it just works. So it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, it's it's hard. Like, so we're recording this in the middle of the COVID pandemic and um, about 55% of our revenue at the time the pandemic hit was tied to travel, to me getting on a plane or or me and clients getting on a plane to go to a workshop. Um, and travel from Caslow is hard. It takes me a day to get anywhere. Like if I'm going to Tennessee, I might as well be going to Berlin. Yeah. It's, it takes me the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, but it's been nice to be, you know, now that we're all trapped somewhere, uh, I couldn't think of a better place to be trapped. Oh, that's awesome. So, so tell me this, those that uh, were like me back in the day at the Bureau of Digital, how would you describe Win Without Pitching for those that are kind of first timers stumbling upon this book or this concept? Yeah, so the business Win Without Pitching is a sales training organization for creative professionals. And we use the S word on purpose. It terrifies a lot of creative people who think they recoil at the word. And we're trying to kind of like take back the night. We're trying to reclaim what should be a good word and isn't. Yeah. And sales training includes pricing. It includes positioning. Well, it, it doesn't. But like in our world, it's we focus on sales training. Um, but we also do work around positioning, around marketing or lead, lead generation around IP development and around pricing and negotiating. So everything that kind of, not everything, but a lot of things that touch sales training. And um, while we're always targeted to the creative professional, there are always those 
outside of our target market that see relevance in what we do. So for the most part, we, if you, we welcome people outside of the creative space, but when we're, when we're marketing, when we're creating products or services, when I'm creating content, when I'm thinking about my audience, I'm always thinking about the creative professional. And, and in some ways, the professional services department, like lawyers could adopt this, accountants could adopt the same model in some ways from what I, you know, from what I understand. But I, have you seen those connections made? Oh, yeah. Lawyers, accountants, financial planners. I hear a lot yeah. from financial planners, um, management consultants. Uh, what's interesting is, especially in the design world, not so much in the advertising, but in the design world, you're seeing this convergence of all these different professional services. So you've got design, consulting, engineering, primarily software engineering, but also engineering, engineering. Um, they're all converging into these like really interesting combination of professional services firms. And so we could broaden, like, this is kind of a lesson in marketing and positioning. For years, I've had people say to me, wow, this win without pitching stuff, it's so relevant to my space. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't run an ad agency or design yeah. firm. You should really broaden out. And that would be a big mistake um, because I could broaden out to, you're, you're always in this dance between differentiation and relevance when you're trying to position your brand. And, it, and we, while we are relevant to all the folks in those categories, as soon as we broaden out our claim of expertise mm -hmm. and saying we're experts at helping professionals yeah. or professional services firms um, uh, accomplish whatever or sales training mm -hmm. for a professional yeah. services firm th firms, then we invite all kinds of competition against which we don't have a competitive advantage. Because I really think as somebody who grew up in advertising and design, our competitive advantage is I'm not so much an expert at selling mm -hmm. as I am an, an expert at understanding the peculiarities of the creative mindset that makes mm -hmm. selling difficult. Yeah. And some of those peculiarities, like creative, you don't have to be a designer to be creative. There's a, entrepreneurs and creatives in the creative yeah. professions. They have a lot in common. It's about uh, the ability to see or bring novel perspective, mm -hmm. high propensity for risk. So in general, entrepreneurs uh, align nicely with this creative audience. I found that, uh, whether it was at Bureau of Digital or we have a quarterly group here in Vancouver, most of the folks who I know are artists at heart, creatives at heart that stumbled into business and then figured out how to monetize their incredible creativity or their skills or their gift. And, and have been really fumbling along. Like I, I, I'm one of them fumbled along to figure out sales. Yeah. And that like you, that that's the person that I want to help. And my whole, like you th think about like, why do you get up in the morning? What really mm -hmm. motivates you? I'm like, I can, for the money, I can go into an organization with a large sales force that sells X and I can help yep. them get better at what they do. And I'll be, I'll feel good about it <clears throat> and I'll make some money at it. But yep. I really feel like I was, I mean, I really feel like I, I was put on this earth to help the creative person in that moment. So you're a creative person. You think, well, I think I'd like to do this for a living. I'd like to call my own shots. I'd like to run my own firm. Yeah. So you open the doors and, and then now you have all these business challenges. Mm -hmm. And at the top of your list of business challenges is now you have to sell. Yeah. And you, so you're, so you're, and because what it is that you do, what you're selling is really a part of you. You're so personally attached mm -hmm. to your yeah. creations. You're so vulnerable and you don't really know how to do it. And your idea of what it means to sell 
large comes largely from your experiences with people who sold to you poorly. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I always imagine this vulnerable creative person standing up in front of a prospective client in their most vulnerable moment, trying to yeah. sell their creations. Yeah. And I think, okay, that's like, we've built this whole company around helping that person in that moment. And if others find relevance in that and we can help yeah. them too, great. But as soon as we lose focus of that, yeah. I think we just become watered down and like everybody else. I feel like Blair, when I was, I was thinking of you and, and getting ready for today, I thought of you like um, two things. One, I thought of you when I was in high school and, and I was in the art room and you know drawing things and you know making things and you know in the photo studio when we still developed film back in the day. Uh, I thought of you as like the really like I'm in grade eight and you're in grade 12 and you came alongside me and said like it's going to be OK. Like here's a few things to survive high school. And and in your in the translation, I mean, here's how you can survive running a business and doing sales. I feel like you're that older, cool, you know, grade twelve kid that comes alongside a grade eighter. And then the second thing I thought of, a kind of image was um, like Lord of the Rings. You remember Frodo had the ring, and they brought that group around him. I feel like you're like the guy, the ranger that's like, it's gonna be okay. You know, you do you. I'm going to be me over here and I'm going to help you understand how to navigate this crazy world. And you're going to have like orcs come at you. You're going to have like this flying thing, but here's some weaponry and here's how to use that weaponry. And, and you don't have to be scared of the weaponry. It's not evil. It's just necessary on this journey. I love, I love both of those metaphors, especially the Lord of the Rings is one because I, <clears throat> I have one that I talk, that I use when I'm talking about positioning. I say as a highly curious creative problem solver, um, you're standing in in a room full of doors and there's yeah. each door represents like something you could do for somebody, a way, a problem yeah. you could solve and make money. And, and being this highly curious creative person whose strength is bringing a novel perspective to a problem you haven't solved before. You want to, you want to walk through every door you're, yeah. you, and so you structure your business in a way that lets you to walk through every door. And I'm behind you saying, no, no, you need to pick one door, walk through that yeah. and never look back. And on the other side of that door, you think that there's just, you're going to die of boredom. It's like this empty gray room where there's not enough variety. But that's not what's on the other side of that door. What's on the other side of the door is more doors. Not more door. There's the Lord <laughs> of the Rings reference, but more doors. Yeah, that's me. And I feel like being a, a hobbit, going like that, I feel like I, I'm used to like, planting things and fireworks and eating really good food. And the idea of sales is like warfare and fighting and swords. And that's not me, but I feel like you show us like a hobbit sized sword and show us that it doesn't have to be awkward. Like you, it's okay to be you while you do sales. A hobbit sized sword or needle. If you want to switch to game yeah. of thrones. <laughs> So going back, I feel like when I first read your book and, and hearing the conviction and, and using the term conviction, I feel like when I finished the book, and I'm, I'm curious about this because I've, I've never had the chance to talk to you like this before, the conviction I got was I need to focus on one industry, like really niche out in industry and niche out in the services I'm really good at. And it was like you were like the anti-full service firm. Would that be a, a true convictions you were hoping people would walk away from with your book? I think in the beginning when, so the first uh, proclamation on the book, of the mm -hmm. book, so it's a book of 12 chapters, each chapter is a proclamation, something we shall, yeah. we will, et cetera. Yeah. And the first one is we will specialize. Yes. And 
when I wrote the book 10 years ago now, 10 years ago in a couple of months, uh, was when it was first published, uh, there were still a lot of uh, marketing communication firms out there who are trying to pull off this positioning of full service. Oh, and yeah. full service is almost always code for a small firm trying to look large. And they and, outsource it. Like we, we, we've been the white labeled underground person for all sorts of agencies out there that claim full service. Yeah. And, you know, when you think of it, there's a lot of firms that are doing kind of the outsource. So, so the idea of a related but actually quite meaningfully different model that one that's more valid is you become this marketing GP, general practitioner, and you have this army of outsourced specialists yeah. that you lean on. But you don't claim to have all of this expertise. What your expertise is, is, is the ability to kind of understand the client's situation and model out a, like a multi-path a program yeah. for helping them create value and then leaning on these different specialized experts. In fact, today, just 10 years after the book came out, it's, it's almost hard to, well, some firms are just highly specialized experts within each of those paths or domains yeah. or, or markets, but you can still be a generalist as long as you embrace this idea that you're like the GP who's always going to refer in the specialist. So you need to find a revenue model that allows that to work and the, and the skills that you need to build. You need to resist the urge to go become an expert in these different subject yeah. matter areas because you can't possibly do that. No, so you no have to can. figure out yeah. what are the I, – I don't even want to, want to say generalist skills, but what are the skills of the, the quarterback? And it's funny. you know, We, yeah. we use a marketing firm – in Toronto and they're called mm. quarterback marketing. Mm. And so That's shout awesome. out to them. They, and they go get all of the specialized experts, yeah. Yeah. like highly specialized. Yeah. Uh, so highly, they couldn't possibly possess all of this stuff in house. So that's a, yeah. that's almost, that's like the Hollywood studio model, which I believe yeah. is the model of the future. And the, we're accelerating towards that future because of this pandemic. You've got all of these firms where it's like, okay, everybody's working from home. I'm at home. The office is sitting there unused. Yeah. My director of coaching said to me two days ago, I've just heard from our fifth client yeah. who's now said, I'm not renewing my lease. I'm not wow. going back into that yeah. space. Wow. So the, we're now at this, because of this constraint of limited travel, limited gatherings, we're all rethinking elements of our business models. And it's really forcing the trend was already there. So what I love is this constraint is forcing us to kind of react in ways that we probably wouldn't have the courage to do so yeah. if it weren't forced upon us. So you're going to see a whole bunch of new agencies, and this is going to apply to other businesses too, come out of this with new business models. And some are going to feel like they're reacting and it's a negative kind of response. That's almost always the beginning when you're going through a constraint-driven exercise. But many of them are going to realize this constraint is a, is a beautiful gift in plain brown wrapping. Wow. I feel like your, your books uh, just spoke to me and said, it's okay to say no. Like there's always people that use, you know, term like, you know, the art of saying no and just saying, but I feel like you didn't just say, hey, it's okay to say no. You, you went on to say, here's why. Like you were the first ever to describe why saying no is awesome. And, and, and in turn, I can just speak for me, like we've since figured out this is what we're only good at. And then in turn, you become really good friends with other agencies. You learn people who are specialists in other areas. And it creates such a great back and forth relationship. Um, 
it's it's been really really special in a lot of ways. So on that, so shout out as well to a resource like Communo, which got birthed out of Calgary here, where now yeah. there's a, a, a database, a resource base of contractors or freelancers, you could say, that can do that. Not just going to Fiverr or going to some place that it sounds like Communo has vetted these people and there's an actual resource you can go to. Yeah, so Communo's a startup. I'm an investor in and advisor to just put my cards on the table here. Yeah. And it's founded by some former clients of mine, really smart guys um, who've launched a few successful businesses now. And they saw this trend and they 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 kind of pitched me on it. And I went, oh, yeah, this is like this is absolutely where the agency world is going. It's it's been slower, like the whole not so much the communal model, but the trend towards this has been slower than I thought it would be. I thought I saw something that was there that was going to pop up overnight. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, so it's a platform for giving and getting work for freelancers right up to large agencies. And there are massive amounts. There are hordes of people joining the platform right now yeah. um, because there's a lot of people that have been put out of work. They're looking for work. And then there are agencies that are just going to this model. I'm letting my people go, but I'm still going to need. Yeah. And some of those agencies are hiring those same people on the platform. Yeah. Um, and it allows them to hire other people on the platform and allows the now freelancers to get other work on the platform. Yeah. And there's a lot of things different about it from Fiverr, et cetera. Um, yeah. There's some vetting. There's some uh, there's some algorithm based vetting. There's some other things involved. But yeah, it, it, so that and not, and not to plug Communo too much, but that platform mm -hmm. and others that that kind of support this idea of the Hollywood studio model where yeah. smaller core team, you come together for a short or period of time. And then you disband and then another team comes together for a short period of time. We've been seeing, well, you see it in Hollywood. You've been seeing yeah. it in Hollywood for the last 20 years. Um, you're seeing it in other businesses too. And it's uh, the time is now in the agency world. Everybody wants to variableize their costs right yes. now. Yes. And speaking of Hollywood, a friend of mine has an agency here in Vancouver. Um, John Krasinski from The Office uh, put out this Some Good News show. Again, I don't know how long it'll last for, but a short-term project. And he... Yeah got hired to run the social media for some good news, which is incredible. Like the, this uh, news campaign that just took off like crazy. I love watching it every Sunday night with my family. Uh, and, and again, thanks to Communo, he got this opportunity to be a part of this project, this campaign for a period of time. Yeah, most of the talent on the production and marketing of that show, from my, my understanding, is coming from the Communo platform. So there's a, there's okay. a lot of great work being given out. And, and there's, I can't say too much, but there's, there's a ton more coming. It's awesome. So moving on to the next thing, yeah, creative pricing. Tell me about this second book that you've put out and, and what do you focus on in that book there? Yeah, it's called uh, Pricing Creativity, A Guide to yeah. Profit Beyond the Billable Hour. The first thing I'll say about it is I believe it's the uh, only pricing book in the world that's priced based on the principles in the book. Okay. Uh, there are three different like options. It. They're all very <laughs> expensive. So I'm not buying it on Amazon. I'm not going to Amazon no, right now. You can only buy it at pricingcreativity.com. It's $320 for the most expensive version, $199 for the middle, and $100 for the cheapest. That's all US dollars. They all come with a full money-back guarantee. So if like wow. you buy it, you don't like it, you don't think you're going to make more money from it, we'll give you your money back. Wow. Um, so as I was writing it, one of our core values at Win Without Pitching is do what we say. So yeah. we sell the way we advocate that our clients should sell. And then as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to live by this core value, I have to price this appropriately. And plus, I had some previous experience in a 
the first book I ever wrote, I self-published and I, I charged $995 for it because I was, I wanted to see if I could shatter the paradigm of the idea that books are worth $25. Yeah. And I did. On. So I, I knew I could, I knew I could make it work. And so here, like just telling a few secrets. So we're two, two and a quarter years since the launch of the book and we, and we sell directly and sales are over $600,000 now. So yeah. <clears throat> when I was telling a colleague in London yeah. about three years ago that I was about to <clears throat> launch this book and he, he made this offhand comment like, oh, it'll be good marketing for you. I mean, of course, nobody, nobody expects to make money writing a book. Mm -hmm. And I said, I expect to make a million dollars plus from this mm -hmm. book. And he like, just <clears throat> and I, I did the math for him and we're easily on track to do that. And I'm not, um, I, I'm not trying to no. brag and I even wor worry about giving those numbers away, but I, I just do want people to, to know that the, the packaging, if you're in the ideas and advice business, mm -hmm. the package you put that in is going to commodify it in your mind and in the minds of your buyer. So you can be a yeah. consultant and there's, there's no price limit on the package for consulting. But as soon as you package up and say training program, and we're a yes. training company, so that's yeah. what we do yeah. largely. We put stuff into packages in pursuit of scale, thousands yeah. of clients. That's what we're in pursuit of. Um, but if you're not, if you don't have that level of scale, at least hundreds of clients, it doesn't make sense to package it up. So you put it into a package and then the marketplace will put this pressure on you that says, no matter how valuable the information, if it's in that package, you're only going to be able to charge X for it. <clears throat> now, I knew that was wrong because I read a book right when I started my business. And it was Alan Weiss's uh, The Million Dollar Consult or Million Dollar Consulting. Okay. And there was a line in that book. I read the line and closed the book and went, oh my God. And it caused me to change the trajectory of my business. Oh, and wow. for many years, I thought, if I had hired Alan as a consultant to come in and yeah. give me some advice and all he did was do what that line did yeah. instead of going this way, I went this way. <clears throat> what would that advice be worth? And in the early days mm -hmm. of my business, I thought that's, I would, I would have paid $20,000 for it. Yeah. So then I thought, and I paid $25 for the book. That's a crime. So I wanted to test the theory that you could package up information in a book and charge more for it. No, can you share what that line was? Yeah, and the irony is I've since deviated. I've okay. done a complete out <laughs> okay. about face, but it's not, not because it was a bad line. His line was most consulting companies are actually training companies. Yeah. Or most consultants are actually trainers. <clears throat> yeah. And so I saw the wisdom in that. I saw that I was heading down the training path. And I refocused to consulting. But then what happened over the years is, and I, I've written about this extensively. I write about it in Pricing Creativity. I have an article on my website, winwithoutpitching.com, yeah. recently called Recurring Revenue, Holy Grail or False Promise, yeah. in which I talk about the idea of productized services versus customized services. So I, yeah. even though Alan warned me and I was... I was going down the training path. I pivoted to consulting. At some point, I, as a consultant, I started to veer over, not into training so much, but I started packaging my services, yeah. which is a big mistake because then you cr introduce these commodifying forces. Yeah. So one day in 2012, um, I had this realization that 
the way I was trying to scale essentially an unscalable consulting business was 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 uh, was was putting pressure on my actual health. Yeah. I'd kind of hit a ceiling of income, mm-hmm. couldn't work harder, felt like I couldn't yeah. charge more. So I yeah. decided this is basically how I got into pricing. Yeah. When I learned about pricing based on value, rather than yep. putting these packages together and charging everybody the same price, I realized, oh, I'm stuck in the mushy middle yeah. between productized services and customized mm-hmm. services. And in my mm-hmm. business, that would be consulting and training. Yeah. And I realized I need to pick one. I need to become a mm-hmm. full-blown consultant where I price based on the value that I create for clients, not based on the market value of my packages, or I need to package up training into these nice, neat little packages and pursue scale. And it could have gone either choice would have been fine. And for a couple of reasons, the biggest one being where I live, Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to pursue scale and become a training company, a productized services company, hire other people and deliver our services at scale. I want to talk about explaining leads to clients. CallRail gives you the call tracking you need to measure the success of your marketing efforts in real time. Discover how many calls you received from your Google ads, organic searches, social media efforts, and so much more. And hey, that's not the only reason we use CallRail. CallRail seamlessly integrates all of our call and conversion data with over 700 marketing tools and platforms, including Google Analytics and Salesforce, for a deeper insight into what's happening. Start telling the complete story to your clients. Try a free trial today with callrail.com. And so someone who's considering this book, um, you know, I, I, even me, for example, I'm, I'm pricing out and I do quotes for clients all the time. They always ask me, what's your packages or what's your pricing? You know, I'm always trying to, it's that dance of like, well, what's your budget? And they're like, well, what's your cost? And, and it's always trying to feel out the person. And, you know, and, and I'm trying to get them to tell me what their goals are. And some people refuse to tell me a budget. It's like, so basically you give a roadmap for people who are in my shoes. Cause also, and again, people in my shoes who, because we're artists and because we're creatives, I also just want to do it all for free. I'm like, I feel for the person. I, I fall in love with them during the sales process. I'm like, I just want to come alongside you. Who cares what the cost is? Let's just make this beautiful art creation that helps your business. Um, but you kind of give a roadmap to give us kind of like questions to ask how to put the pricing in and how to kind of feel out the organization for what price is best for them. Is that a good way to describe what this book does? Yeah. Or this pro- it's not just a book. It's a, it's a whole experience, right? Like you get it, the, the webinars and I've had people say it's not even a book. It's a system. Um, okay. I, I suppose that's fair. So the expensive version is the ebook, the manual that has a second and added tool section and yeah. then a series of videos. Um, so there's different formats and at, at the, at the highest price, at the highest price, it's like multiple formats. It wouldn't even be fair to just call it a book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, a framework or a set of frameworks for how you think about pricing, how you navigate yeah. the conversations about price. Like yeah. client says, you know, what's this going to cost? The yeah. the real answer is, I don't know. Let's let's find out. It really depends on like what this is worth to you. Let yeah. me ask you a few questions. Yeah. And. Not so that's the idea of value based pricing, pricing based on the value that you create for the client rather than the inputs of time or the outputs of deliverables. Mm-hmm. But not everybody wants to buy value, especially if you're dealing with like managers instead of executives. Yeah. They just want to they want to buy time or they want to buy deliverables. Yeah. 
So it's not about converting every business over from um, uh, selling inputs of time and materials to pricing on value, but it's looking, it's really about changing your fundamental perspective. As soon as you have packages, oh, this is what we usually charge for this services, companies like yours, you get locked into this really narrow mental model that's not serving you well and it's not serving the client well and it's limiting your capacity for your ability to earn extraordinary income. So it's really about shifting the focus from you, what you usually do, to the client. And in the in the training that we do in support of the book, mm-hmm. a lot of the training is really about getting the focus off of you, onto the client, letting go of solutions, have that conversation again, yeah. where you just forget about, you're not allowed to talk about solutions in this conversation. You're not allowed to think deeply, focus on the client, focus on the client, focus on the client. Mm-hmm. What do they want? What are their metrics of success? How much value could be created? If you could create this value for them, what would they pay? Okay, now, once you have the answer to the question, the questions of like, what's the value to be created and what would you pay for this value? Then you start thinking about costs. Then you start thinking about solutions. And that is 180 degrees backwards from how almost everybody does it. You mentioned the idea of uh, even helping us as agency owners and people in the business development side of things, sales side of things, how do we send out less proposals and, and send out less pitches and, and do the pitches that win, right? And, and instead of wasting time on these 20-page proposals for everyone, how do we get it down to like those that we are, we're still filling out, how do we get it down to one page? Is that is that true? Is that a right assumption about what you... Yeah, I would say read both books. Um yeah. And, and I, I would just say, other. if somebody's thinking, well, you can't possibly get a proposal down to one page, um, I would say, and I get pushed back because one of the rules is limit your proposals to one page and people will push back and say, yeah, it's good advice. I got it down to three pages. And I say, no, one page. So it's another constraint-driven exercise, which was one of my favorite tools, constraint-driven exercises. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the exercise is, well, if I said to you, you can only use one page for your written proposal, what would the impact be? Mm. Your first response, like any constraint-driven exercise, you would say, oh, I can't do that. Mm. And then, but if you did it, one of the outcomes would be you would become a better salesperson. And the reason oh. you would become a better salesperson is because the closing conversation really should be a conversation. It's not a yeah. document. Don't ask the document to do what you should be doing. And that's one of the proclamations in win without pitching manifesto. So what happens is you can't possibly communicate everything in writing on one page that you want to communicate. Therefore, the proposal becomes the words that come out of your mouth. It becomes a conversation. And all you have is one page with a bunch of bullet points that are supporting speaking notes and supporting points for the conversation. And it forces you to go into conversation mode rather than presentation mode or rather than write this long proposal and lob it in over the fence. So what, so I want to know, what are your thoughts on all those like government RFQs that make you like cross all those T's and dot all those I's? Is it avoid them? I remember the first time I had this question in a live audience. I was doing a speech in Boston. I did yeah. done a talk. This is many years ago now. And the first question was from somebody who said, okay, I like this whole win without pitching idea. Yeah. But I live in Washington, D.C. And yeah. all of my clients are like associations, organizations. Yeah. They always yeah. go to, and government departments, they yeah. always go to RFP. What should I do? <clears throat> and my glib answer that got a great laugh was move. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some businesses where 
yeah, that's, that's, that's the market you've chosen and there's a good reason yeah. for you to have chosen it. But if you're a generalist, who's just like, you know, that's part of your business. Like I would suggest for the most part, this is a short answer. There's a longer, more nuanced answer for the most part. Like that's not a, most of us as creatives and marketers wouldn't like wake up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to launch a business that requires the, the only way I can get business is by wasting years of my life responding to ridiculous RFPs <laughs> that weren't appropriately written for the service yeah. that they're intending to acquire by somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and, and sometimes even I, I went through a 45 page one yesterday and they asked the same thing four different times in four different ways, but really ultimately they were just asking for the same piece of information. Tell me about the, the podcast you have and, and you're about to launch a YouTube channel. Tell us about yep. those two things coming down the pipe. Yeah, thanks for that. So my podcast is called Two Bobs, Conversations on the Art of Creative Entrepreneurship. I do it with my friend and co-host, David C. Baker. David is an independent consultant or independent consultant to independent creative firms worldwide. He's worked with, on an in-depth basis, more than 1,000 agencies or in, independent creative wow. marketing and digital firms. There yeah. is, by a far stretch, I believe there's nobody in the world who has the experience and the data from working with independent agencies than him that he has like he likes to say he's really a data scientist posing as a consultant which i think is a really great description of him and so uh, it drops it's the number two bobs.com it drops every two weeks they're 30 minutes long and it's always it's typically me interviewing him on a topic in yeah. one episode and then the next episode he'll interview me on another topic and yeah. some of them we're always both contributing and some of them are more kind of 50 50 ones it is by one study done a little over a year ago in the uk it's the it's the second most listened to podcast in the independent agency owner space nice. after tim the tim ferris show yep um it's ser awesome. it served us both well. It's so much fun to do. Uh, we've been doing it for about three years. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a subscriber. I'm a fan. It's it's a great, great. show. And and you say you're going to put it on YouTube soon? Is that what you're you're saying? Yeah. Um, well, well, I won't commit to that. We've been like okay. we're we are toying with the next iteration of the podcast, yeah. and yeah. it <clears throat> that will be launched. The next iteration will be launched sometime in 2020. Okay. Um, Good. Win Without Pitching, we're launching our YouTube channel next week. Yeah. Nice, nice. So tell me about this. I Again, being at the Bureau of Digital and, and you know meeting with other agency owners, is it possible to put us all in one camp where it's like, I, you know, I, I argue there's a difference between like marketers, like digital marketers and web creators, and then there's like creative agencies. I feel like there's these camps of agencies out there. But yeah. are the books that you have and the, the support you have, does it work for all three of us, like web creators, marketers, and creative agencies? Or are you, do you specialize more for one of those three within the agency realm? Yeah, so in my heart, it's the creative person. But I, if I'm honest about like the largest part of the market, it would probably be, we probably have marketers, people who see themselves as marketers. And they have a similar yeah. challenge. They, marketers look down their nose at selling. And they think, if you're really good at marketing, you shouldn't have to sell. Yeah. No. So they have a similar but different uh, challenge with selling. Yeah. Yes. And they, 
And so, so you, often we get this combination of creative and marketer. That's how I think of myself. I think of myself yeah. as a creative person and a marketer. <clears throat> and I, I teach people how to, how to sell. So I, I, think it, I think it all translates. I get some, I get some pushback now. Uh, I find it really interesting. And I've talked about this in some of my podcasts or yeah. written about it. I, every once in a while in, in a training cohort, somebody will say, mm -hmm. Well, who like who else is going to be in this? And I'll mention the types of firms, and they go, "Well, those firms aren't like mine." Uh, and I think back to when I was in an entrepreneurial coaching program, <clears throat> a room full of forty entrepreneurs, and there's yeah. somebody who had a dog walking business, and yeah. somebody financial planners, and somebody taught life skills through chess, and somebody had a snow removal business. And I think, I, you know, so like our our stuff is is industry specific, so maybe yeah. there are some moments that don't translate beautifully. Yep. But I looked at a room full of entrepreneurs who could <clears throat> really relate and benefit from stories of businesses that weren't exactly like theirs. And then I look yeah. at somebody who says, oh, I run a, I run a 50 person agency. I don't know that yeah. like those 10 person agencies <clears throat> are really not the same <laughs> as mine. I think yeah. how, how have you even succeeded in business? <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah. <clears throat> if you can't, if you can't translate and take examples from somebody who's a little bit different, like if we're all benchmarking against firms exactly like us, yeah. that's what I don't yeah. like about these benchmark studies. It just like brings out the average in all of us. Yes. So my short answer is I think it translates. We've, we've done a lot of like deep training for big companies in all yeah. of those different categories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things that I'm, you know, I, I find that the way that they organize the bureau events is like, sometimes they organize us by agency size. Sometimes they organize us by geographic area. And, yeah. and I do find like every time, like, you know, I'm with someone of a agency size, that's double or triple my size. Like I learn so much. And there's a major Tom here in Vancouver has multiple offices, a guy named miles there. One of the most generous, helpful people I've ever met in the industry and, and I'm always learning. And, and I even find sometimes when he's asking other people stuff, he's learning and, and he's open. And I think that's part of their success is their openness to keep learning. And shout out to Carl Smith at Bureau of Digital who runs a fantastic organization. I've spoken at multiple events there okay, and the cool. community that he's really built is, is fantastic. The, I do notice something about the Bureau community when it comes to like my guidance. There's a, there's a belief among the the more dev type shops that, yeah. oh, this <clears throat> value-based pricing doesn't apply to us. And it's, I've, it's so entrenched in the bureau community of dev shops. Um, and there's only, you know, there's only so many resources I'm going to throw at trying to solve that misperception problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It will sort itself out eventually. But it is one of the peculiarities that I have noticed, and I'm not, not calling out the bureau or that community, yeah. other than as an example of you do get groups who say no, th this doesn't, this doesn't work for me. Like I, I've worked all over the world, and and um, I I taught one of my principles is you got to talk about money early and often. The win without pitching yeah. rule of money is this: if you don't talk about money, you don't make it. Yeah. And everywhere I've gone in the world, people have pushed back and said, oh, you don't understand, Blair. In our, in this part of the world, in the, in the American South, in the Midwest, yeah. in uh, Saudi Arabia, yeah. um, in France, uh, in, uh, in Ireland, like every, I've heard people say that to me ever, Scotland, everywhere. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, you don't understand. And, and, and here, here, that's not true. And uh, they're wrong. What, what they mean is culturally where they are. And I, I understand that in some Asian cultures in speci in specifically, that rule would apply. There is a cultural overlay that says you defer business talk, let alone money talk, for a while before you get some social rituals out of the way and, and, and establish a bond or a rapport. I understand that. To, to be true, but that's the only real exception I've I've seen. What the rule that they're citing is that in your personal life you don't talk about money. In your business life, in almost every culture in the world, if you can't talk about money, that's a sign of poor business acumen. You're probably not making very much. So that's just an example of pushback on a principle where, and you probably hear this from your clients too, which is like, oh yeah, good theory, Darian, but you don't understand my business is different. And you think your business is not meaningfully different on this topic, but you can't see it. So we, as, as advisors, I think we all run into that problem uh, in various places. So help me understand. So if someone is a student listening to the show or about to start an agency or man, maybe they got downsized and they're, they're going to start their own thing going on. Do you choose the vertical or does the vertical choose you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and it, it really depends. It's a combination of things. So in the beginning, when you're, when you're, so let's, so somebody who's just left the job, somebody who's mid-career and just left a, long, a, a job and gone out on their own for the first time, that's a little bit more nuanced. Let's leave that one aside. Let's take somebody yeah. who's coming out of design school or who's yeah. still fairly young. After their first job, they decide they want to open their own firm. So yeah. again, the first proclamation is we will specialize, but it's a mistake to specialize too early. Mm. So... I talk about the two levels of success in business and in life. The first level where you get kind of validation, people are paying you money, you're earning a living and you're thinking, hey, this is working, but you're not getting rich. You get to the first level of success uh, via two tools, H hard work mm -hmm. and saying yes to everything. So that's mm -hmm. the advice I give to all young people. In the beginning, yeah. you open up your doors, you do a yeah. whole bunch of different stuff. Okay. Yeah. Or a whole bunch of different people. You work hard. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And you're going to say yes, even if I tell you to say no, because you're so you live in terror of not knowing oh, where the next dollar is oh, coming. Yeah. I'm so I've been there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yes, yes, yes. But the second level of success to get there, you actually have to put down those tools because the tools that get you to the first level okay. keep you from getting to the second level. The second level of success, you yeah. get there um, not through. Um, hard work, but through yeah. risk, you get paid okay. based on the risk that you take. So Peter uh -huh. Drucker, the godfather of management consulting has a thousand quotable quotes, but the one I cite almost every day is this in business, all mm. profit is derived from risk. Mm. Now you could ex extrapolate and say in life, all yeah. profit is derived from risk and you can define profit however you want. You don't take risks. You're, you're not living a fulfilled life. Yeah. So instead of um, hard work, it's not about working hard. It's now about taking risks. And instead of saying yes to everything, you start to say no. You start to become more mm -hmm. selective. And Warren yeah. Buffett has this great quote. The difference between successful people and really successful people is really successful people say no to almost everything. Wow. That's great. So 
to answer your question in the beginning, yeah. the vertical might choose you or the distance you think it's, and it doesn't have to be a vertical. It's a market, yeah. however you yeah. want to define it and a discipline. Yeah. So what do you do? Who do you do it for? Yeah. And in the beginning, don't worry about that. <clears throat> Chase the money, look for the yeah. opportunities, yeah. look for the spots where you think, Oh, I could go deep here. Mm, eventually brilliant. but get breadth early this is great so blair where can people find you where are you know, where do you win spend your time online dot com yeah so winwithoutpitching.com you can find yeah. links to both my books pricingcreativity.com will take you to a page on winwithoutpitching.com uh, I'm Blair Ends on Twitter and LinkedIn I'm not on Facebook I'm a gold level sponsor of the shut your Facebook movement um <clears throat> That's where you'll find me and two bobs.com, the number two bobs.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I, I look forward to that show every two weeks. Thank you for doing that. And I, and I also, if okay, you're doing some live recordings of this as well, which is really exciting on zoom. So if you, if we follow you on Twitter, you we might get the chance to watch it live. Is that correct? You got it. Yeah. That is awesome. Thank you for being on the show. This was incredible. Uh, all the links um, that Blair talked about will be in the bio if you're more uh, interested in hearing more. We'll even throw some links to Communo and some of the other resources we talked about there as well. So thank you, Blair. Thanks, Darian. It's been my pleasure. To those uh, viewers who are watching on YouTube, I apologize for the lighting disaster. <laughs> no, you look great. You look great. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week on The Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.